This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. We're going to continue on where we sort of left off last week because we only got through halfway of the sermon. Um, but uh, we spoke about uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus with two guys and you can go and read it in Luke uh, chapter 24. Uh, these guys were disillusioned. They were disputing. And there was a couple of things that happened. And so eventually we see this amazing moment when Jesus breaks the bread, prays after he uh, shared the scriptures with them. And, uh, and then their eyes opened up. You know, um, there's, a, there's a challenge for the church. If we don't see spiritually, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, if you don't know what is the will of God and that God is moving in this time, then you are going to define your relationship with God based on what is happening in the world. And that will be fear. That will be intimidation or confusion or there's a lot of stuff that happens to us when we look at the world and we try to define our relationship by that. And this is typically these two guys on this road all their hopes were down the drain. They were like, they, Jesus, they had this promise that Jesus is going to take over the world uh, physically. The Romans were oppressing them, so the Jews were going to reign. He's going to restore the temple. He's going to restore his power, and that he's physically going to reign. And so here Jesus dies. All the hope, all the stories, everything they've been dreaming of, they gave their jobs away to follow him. Nothing left. And so um, I can just imagine the conversations and the fear and the challenges, whether uh, God is in control and what has happened and Jesus that died now. And uh, we saw last week three things. Uh, these uh, two men, they had a human understanding. That's one of the challenges uh, of the events happening around them, not a spiritual understanding. Their own agenda determined their expectations and they failed to acknowledge the resurrection. You know, the greatest miracle that we as Christians know and believe is the resurrection of Jesus. It, it, it is just crazy. And sometimes we forget that, you know. Uh, sometimes when we are challenged by this world. And uh, for me, uh, you know, practically, I had a funny, funny moment this week. Um, I had to go and reapply for my PDP uh, because of um, driving the quantum. A 14-seater, you need a public driver's permit. So, so here I go, and I, I heard that in Somerset West, it's better than the four-hour queue here in Stellenbosch. So I go there, and it starts to rain, and there's like this big hall, and everybody sits there. And now comes this moment where I have to do an eye test, you know. Uh, but it's windy, and it's cold, and everything is, you know, everybody's nervous with each other. And so I don't know if you've been, how many of you have done an eye test in the last two years? at the traffic department, most of you, okay? But you sit in front of this thing, then you look into that thing, and then it shows you the E, you know? And the E is this, uh, letter E, it's either this way or that way or that way or that way. How many, how many of you have done that test? Okay. So now the problem is I, my glasses were dirty because of the rain. I was just running in, and so now, now I'm checking this E. But as it goes further and further away, I can't see, you know, so, so now I'm thinking like, 
ooh, you know? <laughs> so now, now I think like, okay, it was this side now, so let me just push that side now, you know? At least I'll have 25%, yeah? So, so going through the whole eye test, um, this beautiful lady sitting on the other side, a, a big uh, mama, and she says to me these words, regrettably, sir, you have failed your eye test. <laughs> so I'm sitting, I'm thinking like, oh, you know. And, um, and so she says, but let's try again, you know. But now I'm focused, you know. Now, I'm, now this, this time I'm going to get it right. But then it flashes the lights on this side and it flashes the lights on this side. And because of the glasses, sometimes now I see two lights. Now I don't know what the lights are. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking this is getting worse, you know, because it's raining and this place is shaking with the wind and the storm coming. So after the second time, um, the lady says, uh, I have to again regrettably say that you failed your eye test again. <laughs> so now if all else fails, what you just start to do is you just start to pray, okay? So I say, Lord, lady, give me one more shot. She says, okay, last time, you yeah? So now I go like, Shandai, Shandai, Shandai. That's all I do, you know? I'm just like, but halfway through, I can't see, you know? So I'm just like, left, right, left, up. My right hand side I can, but this, now I can't take off my glasses and clean it. So eventually, make a long story short, I passed it the third time because of prayer, okay? Now my wife doesn't want to drive with me. My kids, it says like, you, you cooked divine cheating, you know? Uh, but why am I telling this story? Because it, sometimes we think we can see, but if you cannot because of the storms of your life or the things or the opinion of people, you think that even like, oh, I, I've got it together. But so many times we need to pray and say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Firstly, I want to see who he is, but secondly, where he is moving. And that is so important because sometimes God can be moving in one direction and we're going in this direction. And then we say like, oh Lord, please bless my plans. Uh, but I love what Willem Mayer said, uh, was it last week? He said, uh, if it's God's plans, it will be blessed. If it's your plans, you have to pray for it to be blessed. Lord, please bless my plans. Yeah, then you need to pray a prayer like that. But we, if we're in the will of God, the most amazing thing is, is he will bless his plans. What is just the only thing that needs to align itself is you and I to what he is doing. And so we're talking about having a God encounter. And so the scripture for today, that was all part of the introduction. Lock the doors. We'll be finished at three when the next service starts. Ephesians 1 verse 7 to 22. We're going we're gonna to just read scripture together. And it's, it's like one sentence, but you have to almost fasten your seatbelts because when we read scripture like this together, it's like you can almost lose it because of the massive lot of information and revelation. Do you know that when we come to God, you must say, Lord, don't, I don't need more information. I don't need doctrine. I need revelation. Revelation knowledge is what keeps the church pure, is what keeps the church focused when we have a revelation of who he is and where he is moving. You know, another story, I was a chokriki, so we went to uh, Betty's Bay and there's this Disa Kloof. How many of you have walked that Disa Kloof, you know? But you walk up there and then these beautiful flowers, the Dizas, that's why it's called Dizer Kloof, you know? 
And, um, and so going up there and the family begins to like, oh, look at the flowers. Wow, it's amazing. It's just crazy. So I'm standing there and I'm thinking they're making a joke. I think I was nine years old and that's the first time I realized I'm colorblind. Because the red flowers against the green background, I couldn't see one of the flowers. It was the most terrible walk in my life because they're just like, wow, look at it. It's just all over the place. And I'm thinking like, I can't see the red in between the green, you know? So that's why I have teenage daughters now that tell me what I must wear because normally everything clashes. When I go, I have to sneak out through our front um, yard because I don't know if the colors match, you know? But don't worry, John, your daughters are getting there, you know, where they tell you what to wear. You, you're not in control. Any, there's certain stuff you just have to give up, you know? You just... You can't, you don't have a say in certain things anymore, okay? But um, <clears throat> color blindness is the same. You, you think there's something, but you can't see it because of, it becomes so close intertwined. And so this, this is what, I'm going to talk about that again. But in Ephesians 1, Paul sort of, the first couple of verses, talks about the gospel. And Ephesians is this beautiful book being written to a couple of churches, not just one church, there's about seven, 12 main churches, and this letter was distributed uh, among these churches. And um, Paul was there, planted the church, came back in his second missionary journey, actually stayed there three years. And so <clears throat> this beautiful part where he writes out of prison to the church. Now, I, I think firstly, if, if you and I would see the context of how Paul writes and from where he writes then scripture makes a massive, gives you another angle. You know, we normally read scripture out of a comfort zone. We read it when we're sitting behind our desk. We've taken some time out. But most of these scriptures have been written from prison in a place where Paul was chained to a Roman, uh, like a centurion, most of them actually got saved. Imagine being chained to Paul for, for, for a month or so, you know. They have to, they have to like have a rotation system because everyone gets saved, you know, that you're chained to because he's just preaching the gospel. So he writes this, and he writes the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters is about doctrine, and then the last couple is our sort of position or outliving of that. But the one term or theme that, is, that you see in Ephesians, in Christ, if you can underline that, you'll probably see a hundred times, in Christ, in Him, in Christ. And it's such a beautiful place for you and I today that what is our position in Christ? What is the church supposed to be? And the moment when you and I align ourselves with Scripture, then we will have that freedom and not look for the freedom outside. Can I get an amen? Thank you for enthusiasm. Okay, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, in Him. In Him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all in things according to the counsel of His will. Okay, close your eyes and just tell me what, 
what you heard when I read that whole sentence. In him, we are. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, that's a mouthful. But basically what he's telling us is, is speaking what is the gospel. He says, in Christ we have freedom, redemption. That word for redemption is so beautiful. It's a ransom. Somebody that came to pay for your life. Somebody that came to purchase and said, that one is my possession. If I go to the shop today and I give them a hundred bucks and I say, I want that thing, then suddenly it becomes my possession. It's not just for freedom. It's not just for that we can have a ni nice life when you and I come to Christ. But if somebody paid a ransom for your life, he purchased your life, it means that, hey, you are completely, you were enslaved to something, the world system. Now you've become free. But not just have you become free, you have transferred possession. You are now the possession of someone else. And that's what a ransom does. It's redemption. It actually says he came not just to purchase, but he came to rescue you and I by his blood. When you, when you understand that, you realize like, whoa, this isn't just like, I'm a nice Christian. This is a nice thing. Jesus actually came and said, I'm going to pay for her life. <laughs> But there's a transfer. The title deeds is going across. It's not Satan and the world that that person belongs to anymore. Suddenly, he or she has become my possession. But that means that you and I are not our own possession. That means you and I can't really determine what we want to do with our lives if we have been purchased, if we have been ransomed. Would you agree? And that's the tough part because... Like I said, we say like, Lord, bless my plans. Lord, please be with me. We pray very unchristian prayers. But the moment when you and I say, I am his possession, it means that I live for his will and for his glory. I have a greater desire because suddenly I was dead, but now I'm alive. <laughs> That's the greatest miracle, the resurrection, the born again experience. And so Paul writes this because he says, this is the freedom that you and I have. You've been, there's a price on your head, a ransom. Somebody came to rescue you, and the blood of Jesus speaks. And so when you and I begin to see that, we have this freedom, not based on whether we wear white tackies that somebody gave to us from America. Because Chris, you must check those tackies. You can go and do fishing with those tackies. They have like all these different stuff, you know. But he, he also says, like, hey, I have this freedom based on what Christ has done and who he is. And then he goes on, he says, verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So it talks a lot about this will of God. Colossians, which is very closely connected to it, Colossians 2, verse 14, it talks about that your death certificate has been wiped out. Yeah? He's, he's not just ransomed you, but he's given you an eternal inheritance. And according to his will, he's paid it in full. That's the word tetelestai means to pay in full. It is finished. I have paid the complete price. Not asked for discount. Not went to the closest sale to try and get the, the cool stuff. No, I paid in full, 100%. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? 
That's, thank you. That's a place to say hallelujah. It means like I cannot add anything to a price that has already been paid in full. I cannot, you know, imagine you have the Mona Lisa, you know, the painting. And you come and say like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I've always wanted this lady to wear a mustache, you know. And you come there with your cokey and you try to paint in a mustache to the Mona Lisa. Well, you're not going to get close. But it's almost like we have this finished work and then we think we should add to the finished work of Christ. And, and you can't because there's an inheritance. It's, a, it's the death certificate that was on your life, the ransom, you know, the, the, the sort of the threats of the devil and everything. And I like what Colossians says. He says the handwriting of requirements that was against you was wiped out, especially through baptism. That's why baptism is so important because now I identify I become obedient to what Christ has already done. I'm just thankful. I'm just obedient. <laughs> okay, thank you for your enthusiasm. Let's go on, verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ, so we, we're talking, I'm, I'm just laying a bit of a foundation and trusting that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to see. Because, because sometimes we, we become church professionals. You know, we, we sort of like say, hey, I've arrived, I've I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, I've, I've come to church, and we don't know if this is maybe our last gathering, what the president is going to say tonight, but we are the church, and so every time we gather, the church gathers. We don't need to gather here on a Sunday, would you agree? So he says, verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Sure. He says, not just were you redeemed, not just were you set free, not just do you have an inheritance, but there's something more that God has placed on your life. He says two things, and he sort of uses these two symbols. He says, you were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So if you would, in the old days, would write a letter, you would put a seal on it that the king would stamp his stamp in, use the wax, and, and nobody could open it except the person that it was addressed to. So you were sealed. It's almost like you were marked. And with what were you marked spiritually is with the Holy Spirit. It's almost like, wow, that one, that one, that one has been marked by God. Hey? You know, when you're, when you're a teenager, you get these uh, little spots on your face, you know, and it's, it's the worst. Uh, uh, now, some people are laughing, but it's the worst if you have to go to school and there's like this one... Some people call it, I don't know, what is it? Or what do you call it? <laughs> I don't know what you call it, you know? A pimple, a pimple. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, you know, you have this pimple, but imagine, you know, I, you have a pimple right here on your nose or right here, and everybody, you know, that wants to chat to you, they come and look at you, and then the eyes go to, and it zooms in, and everybody, and you just sit there, and, oh, no, not me, you know? So everyone uses a little elastoplast, you know, that elastoplast that makes everything go away. Why, some of you think like you never had a pimple. Did you have a pimple, Willem? Yeah, yeah. 
Elastoplast. Do you know what elastoplast is? Yeah? It, it takes everything away, Chris. So, um, <clears throat> but, so, so if somebody zooms in on that little pimple here in your, on your head, and then everybody goes, and you wish like, oh, no. Now, you know, it, it's almost like God zooms in on something much different. It's the seal of promise on your life. I remember um, talking to this lady. I was actually in primary school with her. And she went into very bad dark stuff, into witchcraft. She actually became a witch, you know, casting curses and stuff. And she, she lived here. She came to study here. And eventually she got very depressed. And she um, just lost her mind, basically. So she went to Grundakis, Green Roofs. Do you know where Green Roofs is? It's in Malays, the institute, you know. They lock people up. I've been there two or three times, it's crazy. It's actually, it's actually very crazy because not are the people crazy, but everyone there is, as they think they're spiritual beings or have a spiritual experience. So she was locked up, I think, for a year and a half, pumped full of medicine and all that stuff, and then two nurses started to pray for her. And God touched her. She came to salvation instantly to a sound mind, came out, massive miracle, you know. She, she literally got a sound mind by touch, by somebody laying hands on her and her brain transformed, yeah. She came right into a sound mind, just like we see in Mark chapter 5 with the guy that had a legion of demons. But the story I'm trying to tell, don't interrupt me so much on this side, okay, Christoph. Um, so basically, she said that she walked here in in the streets of Stellenbosch, and the crazy part was, is she could see, because she was in spiritual darkness, she could see the Christians, the spiritual Christians by a mile. She knew who had a relationship with Jesus, and especially the ones who were filled with the Holy Spirit. She said they, they glowed. She would many times walk on the other side of the road. If she saw one coming, she would go to the other side of the road. It was the only people that she was afraid of spiritually were the people that were marked by the Holy Spirit. But she said the one thing that bothered her sometimes is that they never knew who they were, how much light they were carrying. And obviously when she got now saved and, and full of the Holy Spirit, she's just on fire, preaching everywhere, telling everybody. And, and people like that know the spiritual world that we're in. But like I said, sometimes we become professional Christians and we, we sort of so get used to just normal, everyday things. But your life is much more spiritual than what you think. There's a lot of spiritual things that happen around you and that's why as a Christian, you cannot outsource worship and prayer, communion. You cannot outsource your spiritual duties to other people. Because the devil is going to come knock your door. <laughs> but so beautiful about this is he talks about, he says, you have been sealed. And then the second thing he says in verse 14, there's a guarantee. There's a down payment. The literal means an engagement ring. Not just have you got a seal on you that God says, hey, that one, that Josh is mine, that Tony is mine. 
and the seal, the promise, there's a seal of promise on your life. What is that promise of an eternal inheritance, of a life with God, of a life of freedom, of a life of endurance and that you can finish because God says, I've marked you. <laughs> yeah? If you play any um, football or rugby, then you, you sort of work out your strategy if you know there's a, a good player. There used to be, I think, New Zealand had a big player, Jonah Lomo, you know? And, and then what the coach would say is, mark that guy, yeah? Three guys must tackle that guy, yeah? So they work out their whole game plan to tackle that guy. And so that's, you've marked him, you've sealed him, but that's so beautiful that God has marked you. That's my son, that's my daughter, been paid with a price. But not just that, she also says, he also says that he's got an engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is that Araborn, it's a down payment, it's a deposit of things to come. Now the ladies here, you, you can identify with this. The, the guys just like, oh, just cost me a lot of money, that thing on a ring. You know? But we had a couple of people that are getting married at the end of the year. So we had a, a braai with them Friday night. A couple of couples getting married in October, December. So we invited all of them over to our house. Now it's amazing. The guys are just standing there around the braai. But the ladies are all sitting like this. You know, they're all sitting with, it's just, you know, when they, will you pass me the salt, please, you know? It's time to worship the Lord, you know? But it's amazing how the left hand is much more weightier in the worship process, you know? It's just like, just like, can you see, you know, there's, a, there's you know, <laughs> yeah, and so something happens when that lady gets that ring. Can the ladies agree, you know? It's just like, hey, there's a guarantee of, a wedding day coming. There's an Arabon, there's a deposit. Now, if God says the fullness of the Holy Spirit is a deposit of what is to come in the eternal life, wow. You have an engagement ring, you're going to get married to the bridegroom. And if we lose focus of that, then we just go through life and we get distracted. Because we're not focused on the day approaching. But once you have that engagement ring on, everything, all of your conversations goes about the wedding day. You work for the wedding day. You work for something much bigger outside of your relationship. It's not just the two of us that are now romantically friends anymore. No. We're working towards that big day. And it's a beautiful picture of us as the bride awaiting for the bridegroom to return. Can I get an amen? Sure. Thank you for your enthusiasm over there. I want, quickly, one minute, okay? If you are married here, and there's somebody next to you that are not married, tell them, now normally, guys, you can be quiet. The ladies, you can do that, okay? Because the ladies normally, now maybe we must ask the guys because they can do it in one minute. The ladies, they will take half an hour, okay? All the detail of all this stuff. But maybe just tell people around you, 
how did you get engaged? All the married people, there's a lot of married people here. Just, just one thing, one of you, just if there's somebody next to you, I'm going to give you a minute, quickly. Just, just how did you get engaged? Now we're going to get all the ladies to blossom, yeah? And the guy says, oh, I've heard this 400 times. You listen, guy, you listen now, okay? Pretend as if you hear it the first time, okay? Maybe if you're married, do it again, you know? Okay, Vilio, this is where you need to listen to some people. Where's Cody? Okay, one more minute, one more minute. Someone's just busy with the introduction, the, the warming up to the story. By the way, that's one of the things. that I think couples should do often is, how did God put you together? We, we forget, eh? So the, the, in marriage prep or marriage counseling, that's the first thing one does, is just stop, tell your story. How did God put you together? What were the words that you got at the beginning? What were the stuff that made your heart connected to each other? Sure. Some, some people, um, Yanni, how, you married 52 years, 52 or 53? Sure. Wow. All of your life together. What a, what a great blessing. So, so we have an engagement ring, and let's not forget about this. This is what Paul writes. He says like, hey, and there's a lot of people that, would go into the whole deep hyper-Calvinistic stuff here about election and about predestination and, you know, that really sometimes doesn't represent the heart of God well, especially hyper-Calvinism, you know, where he says, like, you tell a mother, well, God created two children to go to hell, two of your children and two of your children to go to heaven. So I'm not a hyper-Calvinist, sorry, because there's a father heart of God. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. So <clears throat> verse 15. So let's, let's, this is where it now starts to get practical. It says, wow, you have this amazing revelation of the gospel, of how he bought you, of how you have an inheritance, how you belong to him. And he says, now, therefore, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may do certain things. What is that? May give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know. So he's, he's praying a prayer. I think three years ago, we, we just spent time on the, this prayer. What, what did he pray? And it's a great prayer to pray for your friends and to pray for your husband. He says, I, I don't I stop praying for you and giving thanks for you. How much do we give thanks to God for each other? Lord, I thank you for Dirk. I thank you for Yaku. I, I thank you, Lord, that he's a blessing to this church and to, the, to your body. I thank you, Lord, for Bianca. I thank you for Heinrich. Lord, I thank you that you have created him. Just when we start to give thanks for the relationships we're in, we begin to appreciate those relationships. Instead of just saying, oh, Lord, sort him out. You know, you know, Lord, that dirt guy, you know. 
You know, he comes from there up in Gauteng, you know, and those people from Gauteng, they're tough people, you know. They're actually nice, but Lord, there's some issues you have to sort out, you know. Some great guys, but, you know, just sort him out, you know, Lord. Nothing wrong with Dirk. I'm talking about that Dirk, not that Dirk. And there's also Dirk. <laughs> there's many Dirks here, so nobody can get, get, tell me, oh, you know. <laughs> but when we start giving thanks, and this is what he says, your love for all the saints, I don't cease, I don't stop giving thanks for you, making mention of your name in my prayers to God. Isn't that beautiful? Lord, I thank you for Christ. I thank you. That you, what you're doing in his life. Suddenly I begin to celebrate in the presence of God what God is doing in people's lives. And now he begins to pray, praise these things. He says, Lord, I pray for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. But I pray that you may need, know these three things. That you may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? He says, what's the hope of your calling? What's the inheritance that Christ has in the church? So he started with the gospel. The gospel is like, hey, you have an inheritance in him, an eternal inheritance. But Jesus also has an inheritance in the church. He's invested something. That means that he's expecting something in the church. He's got a plan in the church. <laughs> There's the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then there's exceeding greatness of his power, dunamus, towards us who believe. So God says not just is there an inheritance that he has in the saints, but there's a power that's invested. There's a, a focus of how he wants to release the church in this time when there is no hope. That's when the church should arise and must arise. Amen? So sometimes we must ask God, God, how do you see the church? Lord, how do you, what is your investment in the church? Jesus invested something. He didn't just ransom the church and pay for the church. And so it goes on with this, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, that's Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. <laughs> Whoa. The church is God's answer to the world. He's got no plan B. <laughs> and so when you read these scriptures and your eyes begin to open up and say like, well, this isn't just a gathering that we have. We are the church. Jesus has placed, God the Father has placed through Jesus an investment into the church, an inheritance into the church. And he gave Jesus those power over principalities and powers and might and dominions and every name that should be named. And he put all things under his feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things. And he gave something to the church. He says, I'm giving you the keys. I'm going away, but I'm giving you the keys. Will you keep watch? 
Will you represent me well? Will you live in that fullness? But so he makes this statement only after he prayed for their eyes to open up. What's the hope of his callings? What, what of his calling? What are the what are the riches of his glory in the saints? And so the challenge for us is if we don't see God's power invested in the church, then we're always just like, oh, we're a group of individuals and it's just about my life. It's just about, oh, you know, whether the church works or not, it doesn't really affect me. It's not like I'm not praying for the other saints. I'm not giving thanks for them. I'm not releasing God's life over them. But your inheritance isn't just something about yourself. It's about the church being fulfilled and living in the calling of God. Amen? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to get practical. I want you to quickly with somebody next to you pray a prayer of thanksgiving for someone, that person may be sitting next to you, if it's your husband or your wife. And then I want you to think of someone else in this church that you know, and I want you to give thanks for them. And I would say, thank you, Father, for Josh, or thank you, Father, for Carl, or for Tony, or for Zizi. I thank you for what you've placed inside of them, and therefore inside of us. So, so we're going to pray that prayer of thanksgiving quickly. Okay, are, are we going to do that? So let's... First, if there's somebody sitting next to you that you know well, or even if you don't know them, just give thanks for that person. Say, Father, thank you that it's not just like we, we're trying something here. And then for someone else that's maybe going through a tough time or somebody else that's not here this morning, give thanks for them. Say, Father, I want to thank you that you have called that person in my small group or wherever to be here. And then, then pray what the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Great. If you can finish your prayers. I want to I wanna encourage you and challenge us to this week make a list of the people around us and in our prayers just give thanks for them. Because the moment when you start to give thanks for the people around you, God releases a love in your heart for them and then you begin to treat them in that way. We don't see people just as problems or projects. We actually begin to release God's heart over them because we've seen how God sees them. My question, just one question, do you think that Jesus is giving thanks to the Father that He has created you? God will not ask us to do something that he's not doing. The reason why I'm saying this is because a lot of people don't think that God is actually thankful that you are his creation. God actually has a problem with the church. God has got a problem with you as an individual. And if we don't cross that barrier, that hurdle, then we're going to almost think that we're just a project of God and we're not his bride you're not a project you're not just passing through 
Jesus actually also prays prayers of thanksgiving over your life. He's making intercession, and that intercession isn't just like, oh, Lord, please sort out Jan, you know. Jan is so... Oh, okay, must use another word. There are two Jans here. Lord, please sort out Zerubbabel. Lord, let Zerubbabel just come in line with you, Lord, because his name should have actually been Shealtiel, but now he's Zerubbabel, you know. Lord, what a name, Father. Why did you give him that name? Oh, Lord, he's such a nuisance in your kingdom. Lord, just sort him out. Oh, if you could only align with, you know. I don't think Jesus prays prayers like that. Say, Lord, what prayers are you praying over me? What prayers are you praying over the church? I always thought like God has got a panic button in heaven. You know, one of these big red buttons. And he says to Gabriel, the angel, fly over there. Panic button, panic button. Because... Peter is sinning again, you know. Cover my face. Let the cherubim fly over and cover my face because Zerubbabel is messing up again. Yes, God hates sin. And he's a holy God. So first ask God, like, Lord, what, what are the prayers you are praying over me? Because then you can have the freedom to pray it over others. The second thing is that those three things there on the board. This is what Paul is praying. He says, Lord, I pray that they will know the hope of his calling. You know, we talk a lot about your calling and my calling. But Izel, what is his calling? There's a hope of his calling. His calling, his inheritance, his power. Not ours. Those are the three things that stand out. Lord, show me your calling. Show me your inheritance in the saints. Show me your power that you want to release. See, suddenly your prayers begin to differ from just, Lord, bless me, help me, save me. Because your eyes are beginning to open up to be welcomed into the presence of God. Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.